not, it's going to be a very short Bible study. And we'll all go home and try to sleep it off. Praise God. But uh, I'm going to give it my best tonight because I believe the Lord deserves no less. He always deserves the very best that we can give him. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and beginning with verse number 14. Second Corinthians 6 verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Be ye separate. Amen. Now the Lord very clearly makes this a requirement before we can even claim him as our father. We are not living a separated life and we have no right to call him our father. Amen. He expects us to be separate from the rest of the world. Amen. And so we're going to at least start tonight a lesson that I'm just simply going to entitle Be Ye Separate. Be Ye Separate. We just finished a series, Be Not Conformed. Now we are going to start dealing with Be Ye Separate. Amen. Praise God. Let's put our Bibles down and let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, I covet your prayers tonight. Let's, let's talk to the Lord together, everyone. Thank you, Lord. Can we 
praise him together right now, everybody. Let's give God some praise tonight. Let's give God some praise tonight. Come on, lift your voice to the Lord. Let's, let's give him the kind of praise he deserves tonight. He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of the glory tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I, I, I want to say tonight that throughout these various uh, series of studies that we're going to be doing on Tuesday night, you're going to hear a lot uh, of the same thing over and over. But it's a part of what uh, is required to, to diligently teach the principles of God. We need to hear it over and over. And the things that, that I'm going to deal with each step of the way is going to, to reach back and pick up on principles we've already covered. And so that's why you'll hear me say these things again. But um, bear with me tonight as I do my best to teach uh, things that I know, I know that we've heard, we've, we've um, become familiar with some of these things. But at the same time, it is so vitally important. And I, I hearken back to what we have told you of the Lord speaking to a group of men some months ago, promising an unprecedented revival to those who still bear his image. And so I believe it is incumbent upon us and absolutely essential that we address these subjects and deal with these things because I want his image to be reflected in this church. Amen. I want his image to be reflected in this church. Praise God. Amen. Let me say tonight, I've said it before, and again, I, I'm, I, I hope you don't see this as redundant, because I don't think it's redundant at all. Repetitive, yes. Redundant, no. Amen. I, I think that we understand and know the scriptures clearly declare that from the very beginning of time, God has always intended for his people to be different from anybody else. He's never wanted us to just be like the rest of the crowd. Amen. I submit to you tonight there is a reason why God chose to use Noah when it came time to spare the world. Let's, uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 6 and verses 5 through 9. Genesis 6 verses 5 through 9. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, 
both man and beast and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have created them. Now, now let's stop right there. I want you to see when God looked at mankind in general, God said, I am grieved at what my creation has become. In fact, I am so grieved that I'm going to destroy mankind. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. But God didn't destroy everybody. God spared somebody. In the midst of God's grief, in the midst of God's anger, there was somebody God spared. And here's what the Bible says about that somebody. Let's read verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, to, to hear the church world define grace today, grace is unmerited favor. You, you know, God just, uh, everybody's just as bad as everybody else, and, and grace just kind of reaches down and, and picks people, and it doesn't matter. There's, there's just no difference in any of us. I'm telling you, that's not God's grace. Noah was not like the rest of the world. God didn't spare Noah because of some lottery program. Are you hearing me? God didn't just say, okay, I've drawn Noah's name out of a hat. He's just as bad as the rest of the world, but I'm going to choose him and I'm going to spare him. That's the way the world defines grace, but that's not grace. That's not grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but there's a reason why he found grace. Let's read on to verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was Noah a just man. Noah was a just man. And perfect. And perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah walked with God. Don't tell me that God just took another filthy-minded individual just like the rest of the world, but let him be saved and destroyed the rest. That's not the way God worked then or now. But God looked down in the midst of a corrupt world and he found somebody whose heart was right. He found somebody that was different than all the rest and God said, I'm going to use him. Listen to me, church. There's a reason why God, if God's starting all over, there's a reason why he would pick Noah. If he picked somebody that was just as wicked as the rest, what's he going to get when he starts over? But he didn't. He found somebody that was just, somebody that was perfect in his generations, somebody that walked with God, and God gave him the grace to build an ark and to gather the animals, and God spared Noah not because he was like everybody, but because he was different from the rest of the world. 
Noah was already separated before the waters separated him from everyone else. Noah was separate in his heart. Noah was separate in his spirit. Noah was separate in his mind. Is anybody hearing me tonight? Is anybody understanding what I'm telling you? The thoughts of everybody else's heart was only evil continually, but not so with Noah. Noah walked with God. Noah didn't think like everybody else. Noah didn't walk like everybody else. Noah didn't talk like everybody else. Noah didn't act like everybody else. And God said, if I'm going to start again, that's the way I'm going to start. And it was because of Noah's separation that he was spared and chosen to do a work for God. Well, hallelujah. Amen. When God called Abraham, the very first commandment he gave Abraham, watch this, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country. And the from first thy thing he said, get out of your country. Read. And from thy kindred. And from your kindred. And from thy and father's from house. your father's house. Unto a land that, unto I, will a show land that I will show thee. I'm telling you the com- first commandment that God gave to Abraham. God had great plans and we're going to read what he said. In fact, let's go ahead and read verses 2 and 3. And I will make of thee a great I'm nation. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless I'm going to bless you. And I will make I'm going to make your great. name great. And thou shalt You're be, gonna a be a blessing. And I will bless I'm going to bless, bless everyone thee. that blesses you. And curse I'm going to curse everyone thee. that curses you. And in, these shall in all you the shall all the, the families of the earth be blessed. But I'm telling you, Abram, it all is predicated on your willingness to separate yourself. If you're not willing to leave that land of of polytheism, if you're not willing to leave that family of heathens, if you're not willing to walk away from all of that, you can forget all these promises. I'm telling you, God found a man that had a heart that was different from everybody else's. And God said, if I'm going to use you and if I'm going to bless you, You're going to have to be separate. You can't be like everyone else. Hallelujah. God repeatedly commanded his people to be different. Leviticus 20 verse 7. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. And be ye holy. For I the Lord your God. Because I am the Lord. I'm telling you, you got to be holy. If you're going to be my people, sanctify. This word sanctify literally means set apart. That's what it means. God said to the Israelites, set yourselves apart. Don't be like everybody else. Because I'm your God. Your God is not like everybody else's gods. Right? Right. Your God's different than every other God. Because every other God is fake. 
Every other God is the creation of man's hands and the work of man's imagination. But I'm not like that. Your God is different. And therefore, the people of that different God must be a different people. Deuteronomy 26, verses 18 and 19. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people. To be his peculiar people. As he hath promised thee, and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations. I want to lift you above all the other nations. Which he hath made in praise. Praise. In his na- name. In name and in honor. In honor. And that thou mayest be holy people unto the Lord thy God as he hath spoken. Now, I'm telling you, this when you see these promises of God, they are always connected to the fact that this people has to be a holy people. They have to be a separated people. Church, I don't know how I can stress it any more than what I'm doing tonight and have done for the last several weeks, but, but listen to me. We cannot get our eyes on other churches. Even other oneness Jesus name churches and start trying to follow after their patterns. I don't care what they're doing. I know what God said. And I'm telling you the promises of God are attached to the commandments of God. And the first and foremost commandment that he made to his people over and over and over was be holy, be separate. In fact, even when Jesus came along and said the first of all the commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, I'm telling you, you can't do that and look and act and talk and think like the rest of the world. If you really love God with all your heart, you're going to seek to please him because you want to please those that you love. When you reach a place that you don't care, about whether you please somebody or not, you don't really love them. Well, and if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, then you're going to seek to please him. You're going to want to do what you know makes him happy. And you're going to want to refrain from what you know makes him unhappy. That's what love does. Now, I know all of this so far has been in the Old Testament, but, but don't think for a minute that just because the Testament changed, that the God of that Testament also changed. Because that didn't happen. Malachi 3 and 6 says this. For I am the Lord. I, I am the Lord. I change I not. I change not. Now, you know where Malachi is found in your Bible? You know where it's found in your Bible? You know, it's the last book of the Old Testament. You know, Malachi was one of, if not the last, prophet before the changing of the Testaments. And yet in that, in that prophecy, God made it clear. There may be some things about to change, 
but I'm not going to be among the changes. God didn't change. God did not change. Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. He's the same yesterday. And today. And today. And forever. And forever. I'm telling you, in him there is no variableness, neither is there shadow of turning. God doesn't change at all. And if he was a God that required and demanded separation and a holy living in the Old Testament, he's still a God that requires and demands separation and holy living. The New Testament is filled with scriptures that command us to be separate and holy. I can't take the time to read all of them, but let's let's go through a few. First Peter one, as I've told you, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? Yeah. So if I can give you two or three witnesses, that ought to be sufficient. So let's let's see. First Peter one verses fifteen and sixteen. But as he which hath called you as is he holy, which hath called you as holy. So be ye so holy. be ye holy in all manner, in all of, manner of that word means lifestyle. All right, read. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And so Peter in the New Testament reaches into that Old Testament, pulls a scripture out and said, I just want you to know it still applies. It still applies. He's the same God today. He wanted you to be holy back then. He still wants you to be holy right now. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18. We read it in our text. Let's read it again. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Come Almighty. out from among them and be separate. Don't touch what is unclean, and then I'll be your father, and you'll be my children. But it's then and only then. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with Follow all men. Follow peace with all men. And, and holiness. Holiness, without which, without which no, man. no man. You know, when I teach on the new birth, I make it very, very clear that Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Isn't that what he said? And if Jesus said you cannot, then you cannot. He gave the only exception. The only exception is you got to be born of water and born of the Spirit. You got to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And if you don't meet that exception, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I have to deal with this all the time. People say, well, what about, in fact, I, in, in the last meeting, they say, well, what, what about, and they started calling the names of, of the reformers in the, uh, you know, the, 1600, 1700, what about them? They didn't, they didn't do what you're saying. Are you telling me they went to hell? I'm not telling you anybody went to hell. I'm telling you Jesus said, you gotta do this. Now you decide. I'm just telling you Jesus said this is the only exception. This is the only way you get in. You've got to be born of water. You've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues, or you cannot. 
I don't care what your name is. I don't care what denomination you founded. Well, but listen, it's just as true. When the writer of Hebrews said, without holiness, no man is going to see the Lord. can't get around that. This is in God's word, which is forever settled in heaven. And God didn't say there's going to come a day of enlightenment and you're going to lay aside all of this legalism and you're going to get rid of all of this bondage and you're finally going to be free and then you don't have to worry about any of those things. God didn't say that. He put it in his word When Jesus is the one who said not even one iota of this word is going to pass away. Not one little mark of this book is going to fail. And it doesn't matter if it's 2018 or if it's 2118 or if it's 3018. It doesn't matter. Without holiness, no man. No man is going to see the Lord. That's New Testament. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Now now, now look, I said a while ago, grace is not unmerited favor. That's the way the world defines it. Unmerited favor. In other words, it, it doesn't matter. You can be as filthy as you want to be. Doesn't matter. God just overlooks it. I'm telling you, Titus deals here. The book of Titus deals with what grace really is and what it really does. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Read. Teaching us that... Teaching us. Here's what grace does. Grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace teaches us some things. Grace teaches us that we've got to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and worldly lusts we should live soberly. grace teaches us that we have to live soberly righteously, righteously and godly, and godly in, this present, in this present world that's what grace does grace doesn't overlook sin grace looks at us in our sin and teaches us you gotta change Amen. why verse 13 Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look, this is why grace teaches us to live a separated life. Because we're expecting the Lord to return. And without holiness, no man's going to see him. If we really believe the Lord's going to return, then you know what? We have an obligation to live a holy, separated Godly, righteous lifestyle. That's the only way we're going to get to see him. And grace teaches us we got to live this separated life. I'm here to tell you the things that pleased God yesterday please him today. And they will please him tomorrow. And the things that displeased God yesterday still displease him today and they will continue 
to displease him tomorrow. Well, hallelujah. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've taught on this, but there's a reason why God is so opposed to his children living in sin. And it's because of what sin does to us. Ezekiel 18 verse 20. For the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sins, it shall die. Now, for time's sake, let's, we're going to go on to the next. We can go on and read where he's just saying, you know, nobody's going to bear the sin of somebody else. That's what the rest of this verse says. But I want you to see the first part of this verse. The soul that sins, it shall die. This is an eternal principle. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 confirms this in the New Testament. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life and so Jesus Christ. I said this, I think when I taught on repentance, I made this statement. If, if you were a parent and, and one of your children was diagnosed with some fatal disease, how would you feel about that disease? You know that disease is going to take the life of your child. You're going to hate that disease. And God knows sin is a disease that will take the life of his children. And he hates sin. So God doesn't just turn his head, close his eyes, and, and, and act like he doesn't see it when we sin. God knows when we sin, we're inviting death. And he cares about it. I'm telling you, God feels the same way. Please hear me tonight, church. I know I, 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 don't, I don't feel up to, to giving any more than what I'm giving right now. I feel it a lot stronger than what I'm able to do. But I hope that you're, you're not mistaking this for a lack of passion and, and, and uh, um, determination tonight. I, 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 how would you feel if you saw your children playing in the street? You see them out here on Highway 7 running around. How do you feel about it? Oh, well, I hope they learn their lesson. No. No. And if they've got some tendency to want to play in the street, you're going to do something about that. Why? Because you hate your children? No. Because you don't want them to have fun? No. Because you know it's going to kill them. And when God sees us playing around with sin, playing around with the world, it's the same thing. It's like we're on a busy highway. And, and God sees it just like that. And I'm telling you the same kind of reaction you would have seeing your children constantly running out into the street. If you're if you're a parent that loves your kids at all, you're going to take drastic action if this is a repeated thing. Because you don't want them to destroy themselves. And God sees playing with sin the same way. Hallelujah. There's got to be something that happens in our heart. And, and listen, let, let me... Let me say this, and we'll deal with this more. Um, we'll deal with this more in yet another lesson. But again, 
principles that I lay in each of these lessons we come back and refer to and build on. But I do want you to understand this, that, that, that especially as you go through the Old Testament, and I've, I've, I've taught, I've, I've, uh, especially when I taught on tithing, I explained to you that as you read through the Old Testament, uh, they're really the law addresses three different areas of the, the Israelites' lives. It addressed three separate areas of their lives. It, it addressed uh, their civil responsibilities, uh, what they were expected to do as citizens of Israel. It addressed their religious responsibilities, what they had to do as members of the Jewish religion. But it also addressed their moral responsibilities. And that's where God made it clear, these are the things that I feel strongly about. There were things that God told the Jews, this shall be an abomination to you. But he didn't say it's an abomination to me. He put some obligations on them, such as dietary rules, such as the kind of clothing uh, you know, it couldn't be two different materials mixed together. Or, or there, there were, were rules that regulated their farming about what they could plant together, or even the kinds of animals they used to put into one yoke. All of that was there, but those were civil and religious responsibilities. But there were other things in that law that involved their morality, such as thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm telling you, that has nothing to do with their religion or their civil responsibility. That's their morality. And it was God's morality. That, that was God's morality before it was ever written into the law of Moses. God was going to kill Abimelech for taking Sarah. If he committed adultery with Sarah, God was going to kill him. And yet there were no tables of stone that said thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because that's a part of God's morality. God punished Cain for murder long before Moses ever went up Mount Sinai. Because murder has always been a violation of God's Morality. Are you with me? So, so when we get to reading through the law, we've got to understand that there are parts of this law that, that address the nation of Israel. It addressed the, the, the Jewish religion. Those things don't pertain to us, but when it deals with the areas of morality, those things are just as binding on us today as they have ever been on anyone. And, and I'm going to tell you one of the keys that you can look for. This is not always the case, but, but it's just it's one of those red flags that just jumps out at you. Anytime you read that God says something is an abomination to him. If God ever identifies it as an abomination to him, then because he changes not, it will always be an abomination to him. That's why we, we get into things, and I'll, I'll deal with this in detail when we get to that lesson, but, but 
you know, we get into Deuteronomy chapter 22 and some folks say, well, there's other verses in this chapter you don't obey. Yeah, you're exactly right. But those other verses that we're not following today do not identify those things as being an abomination unto God. But verse 5 specifically says, everybody that does this is an abomination to God. Not to the Jews, but to God. And so if it was an abomination to God then, it's an abomination to God today. And I'm telling you, the word abomination means something that is loathed, something that is hated, something that is detested, something that is morally disgusting, something that is so vile that if God were a man, it would make him sick to his stomach. That's, that's how bad anything is that God says is an abomination to me. I don't know what is the most sickening, disgusting sin you can think of. There are some things that when I read uh, news articles and, and, and I see that people do things, it, it, it makes me sick to my stomach. How could people be so twisted and perverted? And how? But I'm telling you, God sees some things in the same way. If he were a man, it would make him sick. That's how much he hates it. So anytime you read about something that's called an abomination to God, you need to stop and pay attention to it. You need to, you need to recognize it because if God feels that strongly about it, I don't even want to get close to it. Did you hear me? If God feels that strongly about it, I'm not going to sit and debate where's the line. How close can I get? If God hates it that bad, I'm getting as far away from it as I can. Let me show you something. Deuteronomy 7, verse 26. Neither shall thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be cursed, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. And so, so here's, some, here's some things you got to understand about how God feels about anything he classifies as an abomination. First of all, don't bring it in your house. If it's an abomination to God, it doesn't belong in your house. Yeah. I've known people that said, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore, but I'm going to hang on to it just in case. Well, you know, if you've got that attitude, then probably you're going to find a just-in-case situation. It will present itself. Just like the man I told about the other night that I wanted to try this Holy Ghost out, so I went to the bar. No, it, 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 you don't do that. And God said, if something is classified as an abomination, don't bring it in your house. It doesn't need to be there at all. Because God said, you bring it in your house, and here's what you're asking for. You're going to end up being a cursed thing like it. Now, I don't want God to put me in the same category as those things that make him sick. 
You say, God would never be that way about people. You might want to go back and read Revelation chapter 3 again. God said to the church at Laodicea, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will. Yeah, the King James says spew, but you understand the Greek word is, I'll vomit you out. In other words, it makes me sick. That's what he said. I don't want to ever reach a place that I'm even close to that in the eyes of God. And so I don't want to bring abominations into my house. Don't bring it in your house because it influences members of your family. It corrupts the atmosphere of your home. Well, something else we see about it. It is cursed. Now look, whether we like it or not, the scripture is clear that there are some things that are blessed and some things are cursed. The Ark of the Covenant was blessed as long as it was handled properly. But those who didn't handle it properly found a curse in it. Right? But the object itself was a blessed object. That's why the Jews would take it out to battle with them. There are things that are blessed and things that are cursed. Look, I know, I know that this building is not really the church. And people make a big deal. Well, no, you're the church. The building's not the church. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you something. I still believe in the eyes of God, this building is sacred. I believe the pews you're sitting on are sacred. I believe these altars are sacred. I believe this pulpit is sacred. I just believe God looks at it that way. I believe there are things that are blessed. And there are things that are cursed. When the ark went into the house of Obed-Edom, what happened? God blessed him, didn't he? God started blessing the man. Now, I don't think Obed-Edom started living any different than what he had lived. But that object was there and God blessed that object. And so it brought blessing with it. So what happens then if you were to bring something that's cursed into your home? Doesn't that bring about the same process? That you're inviting cursings upon Some practices are blessed and some are cursed. Tithing is a blessed practice. There are people who don't even try to live for God but pay their tithes and God blesses them because the principle is blessed. The activity is blessed. But then there are other activities and principles that are cursed. And even if you're a saint of God, if you try to do those things, you're going to be cursed. Hallelujah. So, 
Three, three principles I'm trying to instill here about abominations. First of all, don't bring it in your home. Number two, whatever is abominable is cursed. And number three, number three, I want, and this all comes from this verse, all right? Neither shalt thou bring an abomination to thy house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. And number three, thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it. And so the third thing is your attitude towards an abomination ought to be absolute hatred. That's the way you ought to feel about it. If God says it's an abomination, you ought to absolutely hate it. You know, we're right here in the Halloween season. So let me just say it that among the things that God puts in the category of abominations is witchcraft. Right. That's not something to play with. Right. That's not something that you can find fun and funny. God said it's an abomination and you ought to absolutely hate it. Ah, you can call me extreme, you can call me whatever, but I'm telling you, I, I never let my kids dress up like witches. What got quiet all of a sudden? That's not cute. It's abominable. Well, it's true anyhow. Our attitude toward it ought to be absolute hatred. Once we know from the scripture that, that a thing or a practice is considered to be an abomination, then we ought to hate it so much we want to completely distance ourselves from it in every way. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. We want to be separate. That's what our text told us to do. That's what the title of this lesson is tonight. Read it again, 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Be ye separate. Be ye separate. So I'm telling you, church, we've got to abhor. We've got to avoid. We've got to take whatever steps are necessary to cut ourselves off from anything that displeases God. We want to make him happy. Well, praise God. Praise God. Amen. And look, it's not just in things. It's not just in practices. But it applies to what we wear as well. Can I tell you, can I tell you tonight? Inward change alone is not sufficient. I know that's what the church world is teaching today. That what you do on the outside doesn't matter. But that's not a biblical concept. Now, don't misunderstand me. Inward change is essential. 
Very essential. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 26. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but, they, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may also be clean. Now, he, Jesus says very clearly that what the Pharisees were doing, they were only worried about the outside. And, and they were leaving all of the filth and corruption on the inside. And you don't, you don't want to drink out of a cup that's only been cleaned on the outside. Right? But I want to tell you something. I don't want to drink out of a cup that's only been cleaned on the inside. And Jesus made it very clear. He said, cleanse first that which is within so that the outside can be clean. Not so that you can ignore the outside. And that's the way so much of the church is practicing today. Well, as long as I love my brother, as long as I've got peace, as long as I, then it doesn't matter what the outside's like. And I'm telling you, that's not what Jesus said. He said the whole purpose of cleansing the inside is so the outside can be clean. But don't just clean the outside and forget the inside. Um, I, I think, no, I know that if you go back and look over the last 20 plus years at the kind of teaching that I've done in this church, I have focused far, far more on the internals than I have the externals. And that's been on purpose. But that doesn't mean we can neglect the external. We've got to be concerned about the external. It just can't be our only concern. And unfortunately, that is the case in too many circles. Listen to me. You can have long sleeves, long skirts, long hair. If you've got a long tongue to go along with it. <laughs> we, we, were, we were driving through um, Wildlife uh, Reserve, um, Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe, and I think it was in Victoria Falls. It may, it may have been Swaziland. I don't remember now where it was. One, one, of, one of the places where we were, and um, the guide there, very, very knowledgeable with the animals, and um, so, you know, we would see some wildlife, and he'd start explaining things to us, and, and uh, he started giving the uh, statistics of that we saw some giraffes there, and he started telling us about the giraffes. So, this huge heart that a giraffe has. It's, it's a gigantic heart. And, and, um, and then, and he was talking about how it's, it's necessary for that heart to be that big, to pump blood all the way up, you know, through that long neck and all that. I mean, he's going on and on about how big the heart is. And then, then he starts talking about how long the tongue is. And, and when he got through, I said, now this is unusual to find a long tongue and a big heart. Those two don't usually go together. And everyone laughed. 
is true. That's, that's not the way it usually works. Normally you find someone with a long tongue, they have a very small heart. They don't care about others. God help us. I've, I've told this before, it's been a while, but I heard about one woman that, that was a constant gossip and uh, a real, real problem in the church. Finally, after one uh, very convicting message, the lady went to the pastor and said, Pastor, I, I know I've had a problem. She said, but I just want you to know I've decided I'm going to lay my tongue on the altar. And He looked at her and said, Sister, that altar's not long enough. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you church we, it is possible for us to get the externals down and neglect the internal that's very very possible and I don't want us to do that but neither do I want us to convince ourselves that the inside is right if the outside is not is the outside ought to be a reflection of what's on the inside. And if we really get the inside clean, the outside is also going to be clean. I'm telling you, I don't care how much a man looks the part if he's full of bitterness and envy and strife or lust or whatever. He's not holy. He may look godly, but he's not holy. Praise God. So I, I, I say that because I don't want you to think that this series of lessons is, is so that we can ignore internal holiness. Because we're not trying to ignore that. But we, can't ignore, we cannot ignore the external either. I want us to do everything God expects. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Now this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You're not your own. For you're bought, you're with, a bought price. with a price. Therefore, glorify Therefore, God. Glorify God in your body. In your body and in your spirit. And in your spirit. Which are which God's. are God's. Everyone say in your body. In your body. Say in your spirit. In your spirit. I'm telling you, God expects glory out of both. Not just from our spirit, but He wants our bodies to give glory to Him as well. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves. Now from, look at this. From all filthiness from of all the flesh. all filthiness of the flesh. What? Flesh. Flesh. And spirit. And spirit. Perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness. In the fear of God. In the fear of, I'm telling you, perfect holiness is not achieved. Unless 
you have cleansed yourself both inwardly and outwardly. You cannot do just one and claim to have holiness. And I don't care which one you choose. You can't just be holy on the outside and really be holy or look holy on the outside and really be holy. And you can't claim to be holy on the inside if you're not on the outside. You're not really holy. Perfect holiness is to cleanse ourselves of the filthiness of the spirit and the filthiness of the flesh. I'm telling you the way we look on the outside does matter to God. It does matter to God. Right. Amen. I've got a few more minutes and I think I can pick up the pace and, and, and probably get, get as far as I had hoped to get tonight. So, so um, outward appearance does matter to God. Now, a lot of folks, we've talked about this. Let's talk about it again. Again, I don't think this is redundant to deal with this. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is the verse of choice. You know, it's kind of like the Matthew 28, 19 of holiness. <laughs> Matthew 28, 19, the only verse that they've got to try to prove you ought to be baptized, saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And... and it's not that I don't believe Matthew 28, 19. You know that as a church. It's that they're interpreting that verse wrong. I believe Matthew 28, 19. I practice Matthew 28, 19. Because I baptize in the name, which is what he said to do. But they take that one verse and hang on to it, build their whole doctrine on that one verse. When it comes to baptism... I'm telling you, 1 Samuel 16, 7 is the Matthew 28, 19 of holiness. Let's read it. 1 but, Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel. The Lord Samuel, said to Samuel. Look not on his countenance. Look not on his countenance. Nor on the height of his stature. On the height of his stature. Because I have refused, I have refused him. him. For the Lord seeketh the Lord, not as Now man. here's the only part of this verse they even know. The Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh, For on, the man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh but on the, the heart. The Lord looketh on the heart. Boy, if, if I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times. God only looks at the heart. God doesn't look at the inside. I'm telling you, that interpretation of this verse is just as twisted as baptizing, saying, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I believe this verse. But the way I interpret this verse has plenty of Bible witnesses where saying that God doesn't care has no Bible witnesses. Again, we'll deal with this in depth later on. But, but let me just say this. When you read this verse, you've got to take the verse in context and in the context, the prophet is sent to the house of Jesse to choose the second king. They've only had one. They've only had one king. And so if they've only had one king, what do you think the prophet is going to use as his mold, as his pattern? He's going to look to that one king when he's trying to find the second one. And you know what the Bible specifically stated about the first king? 
that he was head and shoulders above all the others. His stature reached a height above the rest. Are you hearing me? So what did God say to the prophet Samuel? He said, don't look at his countenance and don't look at the height of his stature. Quit trying to find someone like Saul. I'm not looking for another king like Saul. We had Saul and it didn't work. Saul had the countenance. Saul had the stature. Saul looked kingly. But I don't want somebody that looks kingly. I'm looking for something different. And when he said the Lord uh, sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart, he's not dealing with the way we dress or the way we live as Christians. He's dealing with how to choose a king. Hallelujah. And again, look, just, just follow with me. So when, when the scripture gives some characteristic of Saul that really was different, it was the height of his stature, right? Right? That's what set Saul apart, the height of his stature. But when it came to David, God said, this is a man after my own heart. It wasn't his countenance or his stature that impressed God. It was his heart. That's what this verse is all about. Not about our appearance. Well, praise God. We'll, we'll come back to it. We'll deal with it again. But I just, I can't, I can't address these subjects and not deal with this verse of Scripture. Uh, the Scripture is very clear that God does care. He does care. In fact, I mentioned just uh, the, other, the other day, I, I, I dealt with this Sunday morning. I dealt with this. Let's look again. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And the eyes of them were both open. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Yeah, they made aprons. I dealt with this Sunday morning. Let me just, again, the, the, the Hebrew word here, aprons, you know what that really means? It means a belt or a loincloth. That's the Hebrew word. They made for themselves loincloths. You understand that? That's all they did. And they thought that was good enough. Now, I would remind you, at this point, there's nobody else in the garden but a man and his wife and God. God wasn't concerned about the way Adam and Eve were dressed in front of their spouses. He was concerned about the way they were dressed in front of him. Did you get that? It 
was when they're going to approach him, when they're going to talk to him, when they're going to have communion with him, God cared about the way they were dressed. And again, I, I said this Sunday morning, I know some people say, well, you know, there had to be the shedding of blood. But, but again, there's no scriptural proof that that's what was going on. Perhaps it was, very possibly it was. But, but to me, if that was the case, I think the scripture would have pointed out that God slew some animals. There would have been some comment here. But the comments that are made in this chapter aren't focused on that blood. They're focused on what this couple is wearing. And they made loincloths. But when God clothed them, read verse 21. And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. He made coats. Everyone say coats. He made coats of skins and he clothed them. Now, this word coats, I pointed it out the other day. Uh, it, it literally, the Hebrew word, this is a long garment or a robe, full length. And in fact, when it says that God clothed them, the Hebrew word means to wrap or to cover. Now, the loincloth covered the bare necessities. But God said, that's not enough. I want more than that. And God gave them robes that really covered them. I'm telling you, God does care about what we wear. God is concerned about the way we dress. Zechariah 3, verses 3 through 5. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away thy filthy garments from him. And, he, and unto him he said, Behold, I have cursed thine iniquity. I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mite upon his head. And so they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Now look, I'm, I'm just telling you that, now this is not the Joshua that fought at Jericho. This is Joshua the high priest. The Bible says that when God looked at that high priest, he's getting ready to do service for God. And God said, I will not accept the way you're dressed. Bring him a change of clothes. I'm not accepting it. He's going to serve me. I expect him to be dressed the way I want him dressed. What about the demoniac of Gadara? Mark chapter 5, verse 15. And when they come to Jesus and seeing him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting close. He's sitting. Now, there's miracle number one. This man was living among the tombs. He was running among the tombs. He was constantly cutting himself. He was constantly crying. No man could tame him. They couldn't put him in chains. And now they walk in and this man's just sitting calmly. But that's not all. He's not just sitting calmly. He's sitting and... Clothed. Clothed. And in his right mind. Now, why did, why did Mark make it a point to let us know that when the devils were out of this man, he put his clothes on? 
I'm going to tell you, saints, and I mean this. I mean this. The reason why we see so much nakedness today, it is a direct result of the influence of Satan himself. I'm telling you, the devil wants people to expose their flesh. But when Jesus touched him, he was in his right mind and he was sitting, but he was also clothed. I don't know where they found those clothes. They're in a graveyard. They're not in town. Brother Chad, they, didn't, they couldn't run into the, the men's store. Yeah, they didn't dig them up either. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure of that. Where, where, did they, where, did they, where did they get them? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus made sure. When I, when I touch somebody, I give them a sense of decency and, and, and shame. God cares about our clothing. To the Old Testament priests, Exodus 28, verse 2. And I really am nearly done. Exodus 28, verse 2. Thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother. Now watch this. For glory. For glory. And for beauty. And for beauty. So here's the order God put it in. For those that are going to serve me, the first thing I want you to look at, does it give me glory? Then worry about the beauty. I'm not telling you God wants us to look like slobs he doesn't want us wearing anything nice he doesn't I'm not saying that but I am telling you this the first test in everything we wear ought to be does this give God glory or does this draw attention to me is this accenting parts of my body Well, or are we giving God glory in the way we dress? Now, you make sure it gives God glory, number one, and then let it be as beautiful as you can afford. Praise God. But glory first. Glory first. And then we can go into let's let's very quickly if, if the musicians will come i've I've got three more verses, and I'm done um, and my time is up so first Timothy chapter two verse nine in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array now look. I've, I've uh, in, in the last training session that I did in Africa, 
I stressed to those men, I said, if you're not, if you're not fully apostolic, then you're not truly apostolic. You can't be partially. I said, trying to say you're partially apostolic is like saying a woman's partially pregnant. She either is or she isn't. You either are apostolic or you're not apostolic. And the only way we can know if we're apostolic is if we're following the teachings of the apostles. And Paul was an apostle. And so this is an apostolic command. Women adorn themselves in modest apparel. We'll deal with that. We get to that lesson, we'll deal with that explain all of that but but it's clear he's giving some guidelines he's not saying dress any way you want because God doesn't look at the outer man he's saying the exact opposite he's saying you need to dress modestly there needs to be shamefacedness and we'll explain that sobriety not with broided hair and that word is not braided that's People make that mistake all the time. There's a big difference between broided and braided. The word broided comes from the same root word as embroider. You know what embroidery is? When you're, when you're stitching things into the material? We'll talk about that. This is not gold, not pearls, not costly array. This is an apostolic command. And it's very clear God does care about the way we look. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. And plating the hair here, again, same as broided hair. We'll, we'll deal with that. But, but I'm just telling you, you can't get any more apostolic than Peter. We, we base our apostolic doctrine of salvation on what Peter said. So why is it that what Peter said was so important in Acts, but it doesn't matter in 1 Peter 3? I submit to you it matters just as much. And he makes it clear. Don't let it be plating the hair. Don't let it be the wearing of gold. And we're going to talk about what it is that he doesn't want it being with all of this. What, what he's saying. We'll, we'll get to that. But I, I'm telling you, it's important in the New Testament church. And I close with a statement that I made the night that I taught on first principles. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness he was declared to be the son of God with power how? according to the spirit of holiness according to the spirit of holiness don't ever forget there is power in true holiness I'm not talking about pharisaical holiness I'm not talking about externals only but I'm talking about true holiness. There is power in true holiness. Let's stand tonight.
I want to be holy. I want to be holy. I want to be separate from the rest of the world. Does anybody else feel that way tonight? Amen. Why don't we, let's, let's just come as they sing. Let's, let's come, let's just stand around the front. But I think we ought to lift our hands to God and I think we ought to ask Him to help us. We ought to ask Him to baptize us with a spirit of holiness. Listen, if we'll get a spirit of holiness, we're not going to have a problem with any holiness standards. If we'll get a spirit of holiness, it's, everything's going to be fine. And we need that. We need a spirit of holiness.